Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decisional moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. My guest today is Catherine Riley. Catherine is a writer, director of the Literary Festival Prima Donna, and also an expert in contemporary feminist publishing in the UK, and she has just released her first novel. Catherine has published two books on women's writing and publishing, and has contributed chapters and articles to edited collections on these themes. She worked for two years as head of communications at the Women's Equality Party, the UK's first feminist political party helping build it from the ground up before leaving at the conclusion of the 2017 general election. She now works as the general manager for Prima Donna, a festival of writing, creativity and ideas, celebrating diversity, inclusion and equality. And this summer released her debut novel, Is This Love? which will force us to confront uncomfortable truths about life, love and ourselves. 
I cannot wait to chat to her today and delve into her sliding doors moments. So thank you so much for joining me today on Sliding Doors, Catherine. It's really great to have you. I can't wait to chat to you all about your sliding doors moments. So do you want to just kind of give a little bit of an explanation of who you are and kind of what you do on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, sure. So uh, my name's Catherine Riley. I Half the time, I am the director of the Prima Donna Festival, which is a, bu- a festival of books, ideas and inspiration in Suffolk. So it's taking place at the end of July. And my other hat, as it were, is, is I am a writer. So um, the week after the festival, my debut novel comes out. Um, it's called Is This Love? Um, it's a story of um, of the breakdown of a marriage told from the from two unreliable narrators, shall we say. So that's launching on the 4th of August. Amazing. And have you kind of always been interested in books and writing from like a young age? What what was kind of like a young Catherine like? Yeah, I was a voracious reader. My my mum yeah. tells me that. Yeah, I would. I would. I remember like racing through uh, like Laura Ingalls Wilder's books and the what Katie did book. You know, as a little kid, yeah. and then um, uh, graduating to, to to different books. Obviously, um, I was also really as as we'll we'll go into with my my um, sliding sliding doors moments. I was really into sport. I was really into football. So I, I played yeah. out a lot. Um, but yeah, reading and books and writing has been my passion since I can remember. And, and I did in, in, an English degree at Lancaster University and then I did a master's and then I did a PhD and they were all focused on um, women writers and women's writing and publishing. So it kind of makes sense that I now work in a book festival. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a dr- literally a dream come true that I now have my own first novel coming out as well. It's amazing. And do you want to explain a little bit more about um, the Prima Donna Festival and how you first got involved with it and kind of what the whole um, event is? Yeah. So like many um, jobbing writers, I've had a a checkered career, shall we say. Yeah. (laughs) Painting and decorating and things like that. But in in one of my... um, more unusual career moments. I worked as a as the head of comms for the Women's Equality Party, which was a new mm-hmm. political party set up by Catherine Mayer and Sandy Toxvig in 2015. Um, and I'm a friend of uh, Sandy's uh, wife, oh, and Sandy, uh, but I'm a friend of Sandy's wife. And I said um, at the time to her, do you think they need any help? You know, because I was between jobs. And uh, Debbie said, I, I mean, I think they definitely do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I put my hand up to volunteer uh, and ended up working for, for the Women's Equality Party for quite a while and uh, and met Catherine Mayer. And when she came up with another mad idea for a, a festival, then um, she got in touch with me to work with her again. And so 17 of us um, got together, the prima donnas, and... Um, thought about the program, thought about, you know, the kind of festival that we wanted to be at. So it's a mix of, there's loads about books and writing, but it's also there's live music and comedy and food and all the stuff, you know, that all the stuff that brings pleasure in life. So, um, and really good toilets, because that's really important. Yes, always. <laughs> no, it's, don't underestimate it. It definitely is. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, we put the first festival on in 2019 um, as, as a, you know, not knowing really what to expect and how it would go. And it was, uh, it was well, honestly a life-changing weekend, not just for me, but and for all the prima donnas, but for so many people that came and, uh, you know, people just had fun, straightforward festival fun, but other people had life-enhancing moments like they met an agent or or they met a publisher mm-hmm. and two people came away from that festival with book deals. Um, so wow. it, it literally is a life-changing festival and we're really proud of that. Amazing. And is it kind of like to bring together a community of like emerging voices and is that is that kind of the objective is to kind of build a community for people to feel like you know as you say they have other people the same as them and they've got a platform is that kind of why you started it that's absolutely why we started it we started it as a kind of um 
a response to some of the homogeneity of other festivals, you know, the same people, the same faces, the same kind of faces. And we wanted to um, platform all the diversity in in writing and the arts that we know is out there. Um, And yeah, it's been described as a hug in a field, our festival. And we really, really like that because people, so we do things like you you can come and where we can give you a specific wristband that sort of says I'm here on my own. So other people can kind of come and say hello to you. I love that. That's great. Community is absolutely like a key thing that we're trying to build. um, And and, and we are succeeding in that. It's it's one of the things that makes us very happy about, about the weekend. That's amazing. And I think by the time this episode goes out, the festival will have happened. So everyone can go and go and have a look kind of how brilliant it was. But I wanted to also chat to you about your novel. So um, you've done obviously lots of writing throughout your career, but this is the first time you've written an actual novel. So how different was the process to you? Kind of, I know you've written books before, but not necessarily a novel. So how different was this um, for you than the other things that you've done in your career so far? Yeah, it was really, really different. And and so so I've written two textbooks about uh, women's writing, women writers publishing. And so and one of them came out of my PhD and it, and uh, any kind of academic writing or scholarly writing involves like literally every sentence needs a footnote. So much research, yeah. so much kind of, uh, you know, proving what you're saying is true or backing up your statements, you know, that sort of stuff. So sitting down to a literally a blank page and just making stuff up <laughs> which <laughs> is essentially of, what it is it just blew my mind and so I've also worked as a journalist and the same thing you know you have to cite your sources you cannot make yeah. stuff up so making stuff up was a bit of a it blew my mind and at the same time as that happened it was lot I basically I started just before uh COVID hit so mm-hmm. um and then continued for, you know for the six months that we were in and out of lockdown and so it was me in the house with my partner and I was just immersed in this really quite tangled dark awful story (laughs) and how I write this is in no way prescriptive because everyone has a different process but how I wrote that book is I would get up in the morning early and write a thousand words and then stop because Mm -hmm. that that just felt like manageable to me yeah um and so at the end of that 1000 words I'd go downstairs and I'd be like oh (laughs) my head would be swirling (laughs) yeah like I can't even imagine yeah and then my partner would be like, okay, you've got maybe three minutes to just debrief that. And then that's it. Like, well, you have to go back to normal yeah. life because we're <laughs> just in this house, me and you. <laughs> so yeah, it was quite intense. Let's say that. Um, but it's amazing though. And it's amazing to have been able to kind of do something so different to what you've done before. And mm-hmm. I guess kind of with everything that you do and have done, what would you kind of say is your biggest passion or kind of, I'd say like mission to achieve in life? Like, why do you do everything that you do? That's a really good question. Um, I, I don't want to say anything that sounds really grandiose. I, I guess I do. I believe that stories can change people's opinions. I believe mm-hmm. in the power of the story. Um, I've always, you know, I, I've had my mind changed by reading an amazing book or, or my mind, also, you know, expanded. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's how that communication, that, that, that ex- exchange of ideas through storytelling is like at the high, you know, it's one of the most basic human instincts. It's one of our oldest instincts. And I think that being part of that exchange feels to me really exciting and it makes it makes my days feel worthwhile Mm. (laughs) others may disagree but it's for me no I love that (laughs) I love that and then and in terms of all the stuff you've done on kind of women's writing before Mm. where do you kind of feel like we are now in society with that platform and where do you want it to go so I guess I mean in terms of writing and writers there are there are many many women writers now um 
the publishing industry is still probably top heavy. Um, you know, the the, fi- the financiers, the people at the top, are, pro- are, are still definitely um, more male. There is still an issue with um, diversity around ethnicity and disability and and class, particularly. You know, it's yeah. a very it's a very middle class occupation still. I'm I'm really surprised. I'm not surprised. It, it sort of strikes me whenever I go to a book event that there is a yeah. people do look the same. Um, but I, 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 and I guess as well as that globally there you know there is this terrifying rolling back of women's rights happening at the moment mm-hmm. roe versus what you know looking over at yeah. what, what's happening in america and and in other places around the world so it, you know the power of the story is is still significant and mm-hmm. and will you know we need it more than ever and we need people to write down ideas and and historicize things so that we don't forget so that things don't get rolled back again i think that's you know that's an important job that writers do Yeah, it really is. That's such a good point, actually, because I think that, you know, we can often think we're the only ones that feel a certain way or believe a certain thing. But Mm. until you put it out there to the world, you realise that, like, we're all very similar and we all have similar opinions and thoughts and we've been through experiences and it's the best way to kind of deal with those and push them forward. Um, So before we talk about your slang doors moments, I wanted to ask you, what are your kind of beliefs around the sliding doors theory? So um, hopefully you've seen the film um, and, you know, how, what do you believe in? Do you believe that our lives are set out and they're meant to be what they're meant to be? Do you believe everything happens for a reason? Do you think it's timing, fake coincidence? What are your thoughts? Wow, that's a really big question. <laughs> Sorry, it's a very big question. <laughs> um, so I, so funnily enough, I was talking about this with my sister recently because um and, so, and she has this phrase that her her Irish friend taught her. So I'm not going to do the accent, but okay. <laughs> but it, the, her phrase is, what's for you won't pass you by. Yes, and we've I had that of, one before. Right, yeah, right. I think one. it's a really beautiful phrase. I really like it. And so I don't, you know, I don't necessarily believe in in karma or, you know, although I do think if you if you put good in the world, out into the world, it comes back at you. And mm-hmm. and conversely, if you if you are a negative soul sucker yes (laughs) you get your comeuppance in the Uh end um but yeah I I guess I do think I do think some things are just destined you know we've never really figured out an explanation for why some people one that there is one person that you'll fall madly in love with and 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 you know 60 million others that you would yeah it's true so there there are all these life's great mysteries I'm not equipped to to answer these questions (laughs) (laughs) um but yes I so what what's for you won't pass you by is definitely a motto that I like. Yeah, and listen, it's a massive question, but I think what I love on the podcast is hearing everyone's different opinions on it because I think a lot of people, you know, believe that life is what it's meant to be and that's kind of it. A lot of people just think it's about belief. Some people think it's timing, but some people just think, don't even believe in the theory and they think, you know... there's luck and there's hard work but I agree I think that's a really it's a nice way to think of it that as you say like what is for you won't go by you so what is kind of meant to be is meant to be good and bad and that's kind of how we live our lives um and it goes on nicely to your Steindor's moment which which I'm excited to chat about so your first one which you mentioned slightly before is being booted off the boys football team at primary school age 10 even though you are miles and you put miles in capitals better than the boys on it. So do you want to explain kind of why this was such a sliding doors moment for you in your life? Yeah, I do. Um, so so football is a really significant uh, thing in my family. My grandfather was a professional footballer. My uncle was a semi-professional footballer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up with an older brother who just put me in, you know, 
in goal and kicked the ball oh, at me. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I loved playing football, and I was pretty good at it as a kid. Um, and uh, and so this moment, so my brother lobbied for me to be included in the boys' team because he pointed out that I, you know, I earned that right. And so I played yeah. one game. And some parents complained and they took me off the team and I wasn't allowed to play anymore. And so the reason this is a, is a sliding doors moment is because it was my first kind of uh, understanding of sexism, you know, yeah. and and which I have fought against my whole life. You know, I, I, it was a real eye opener. And it wasn't just the boys on the team would let me play. It was the parents that didn't really? like it. And that, wow. that blew my mind as like an eight-year-old. <laughs> and so I guess it was my first understanding of kind of really entrenched, stupid ideas about gender and, and mm-hmm. uh, appropriate behavior and and particularly sport. You know, w- women and girls have been denied access to sport for so long and, and football particularly. You know, I've been really enjoying watching the Euros at the moment yes. and seeing England perform so well and and watching girls particularly in in the crowds just going mad with excitement about it because it's not something I grew up seeing I didn't see mm-hmm. women play team sports on the telly it wasn't you know it's was a very rare thing and I think it's really really I think it's a lovely thing to do I think it's you know, obviously it's good for you it's good clean fun yeah but significant more significant than that you know you you learn how to build relationships with people and how to be a team player, all things that I think are really good and important things. And so, yeah, that moment was, um, I was furious. I was absolutely, I remain furious about it. I bet you do. But do you, <laughs> at being such a young age as well, did it kind of affect your confidence? Like, did you understand, like, how did, how did you think you dealt with it? Because I think when, when it, listen, it's not a small thing, but smallish things happen at a young age. As you say, you'll never, ever forget it. And how do you think it affected your confidence growing up? I think it did affect my confidence. So, so when i when I got to university, that was the first time I was actually actually allowed to play in a team, and I and I did uh, join the women's team there. But there's something I'm not going to put all this back to this one moment, tiny <laughs> yeah. moment when I was like, eight. but there is something about you, 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 you kind of want to prove you want to. It's hard to prove yourself to be the best that you can be because there's always that thing in the back of your mind that someone's going to tell you, you, you know, you're not good enough, you're, you're not, not as good yeah. as the boys. And I do think that that must be something so many women recognise in their experience. Like there would have been a moment when they were told, "That's ridiculous for you to do that because you're a girl." Yeah, and that's that does have an. I absolutely believe that has an impact on the collective psyche of of all of us. Definitely, and. As you say, this isn't. We're not going to say this one moment has been the catalyst of everything <laughs> yeah, in your life. Like but, therapy. <laughs> but you did. You did say. Did it? Did it spark that intrigue for you in terms of kind of the the conversation around equality? And do you think it was like? Do you think it was something that then you took with you through your teenage years? Yeah, I definitely think that. That's why. That's why I've put it. You know, in in, in this podcast, I def. I kind of identify that moment as a point of thinking. I, this is not right and I want to change things and I don't want, you know, it doesn't feel fair. I have this burnt, my burning sense of injustice yeah. <laughs> that's gone with me all through my life. And, and that, that was definitely a moment of, of feeling that, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, one thing I like to ask people is, and I don't know how you'll feel about the answer is, I mean, if you hadn't have been kicked off the team and, you know, you'd been able to play in Carrington, do you, what, how do you think things would have been different for you? Do you think... I mean, it's hard to say, but do you think it would have potentially just changed your outlook on things and made you a bit less aware? I don't know. It could have gone either way. It could have been that I 
you know, carried on playing. And every time we went and played another school and, and some other boy or another parent was like, what she did, you know, it could have, yeah. it could have become something that actually was a bit of a drag. <laughs> um, or, or it could have, you know, I don't know, I could have written a film about me, this plucky young girl that took women's You could have football. been a professional footballer, you never know. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, I probably couldn't. But any, <laughs> but yeah, um, I don't know, really. There, there, there's, there's definitely options either way. Um, and do and it never stopped you though from wanting to kind of play sport or did it no it didn't but it gave me a sense of the sort of like a tiny bit of absurdity in my wanting to do that yeah do you know what I mean the inappropriateness of it and that that almost like a shame and that's yeah uh, that's what I'm glad to see lacking now absent completely gone yeah. from the way girls are, are either playing football or watching football being played by women it's great definitely and it has changed and there's obviously a lot further to go but it's just interesting what you say that it's it's the parents rather than the kids because it's just so stupid it's like who wants to you know if you want to have fun and grow up and do what you want to do you do what you want to do but uh, hopefully it's going in the right direction I agree with you I think the Euros is a really good way now to show that it can be taken as seriously as men's sport so um that's a great first moment and I'm glad that you feel like you got to kind of still play the sport and do what you wanted to do further on so your second one is hearing wannabe on the radio for the first time in December 1996 honestly life-changing so I'm excited to chat about this mainly because I remember the first time I heard the song too I think they were performing it on top of the pops and they were in some like weird like Japanese I don't know or oriental garden um (laughs) And I just, I remember the moment I was at my friend's house and I watched it and it felt different. So how was this such a sliding doors moment for you in your life? That's, you have literally described my response. <laughs> That's exactly how I felt. I'm sorry. So in 19, I, was, I was 19 in 1996. So I was way too old to be a Spice Girls fan, really. I was like at university. I was nearly, anyway, it was like embarrassing. Yeah. But I, I saw them. And and I was like, oh my god! This like I said <laughs> in a really entitled way. I said to my mum, "Mum, when you go to Woolworths, can you go and buy me that CD?" And she did. <laughs> She's really nice, my mum. <laughs> and, um, and I I remember being like, they're going to be massive, and probably by then they already were. I don't know what I was talking about, but I, it was it was part of that time when like Ladette culture was coming out, and and I was I was an adult, you know, I was away from home, I was a student, and so there was this sort of representation of um, a different kind of, A, a different kind of female pop star, definitely, or five different kinds of female pop stars, but B, a, that, a, that kind of culture, which actually then rebounded and became a bit gross. But at the time, when at the beginning, you know, um, Sarah Cox and, and Zoe Ball going out and getting lashed and all that stuff yeah. felt really freeing and a representation of what, you know, being a woman could be in a way that was fun and you didn't have to, I don't know, it just felt very different. And yeah, as I said, it has, it, you know, there's lots of problematic things about about that time, not least the heavy drinking. But yeah. um, for me as a 19-year-old, it felt really significant. I, I went on to write um, a dissertation on, I'm still, I still need to get this to the Spice Girls, on the, I wrote a comparative dissertation between girl power, and I'm holding up my two fingers yes, in the least. yeah. And Jermaine Greer's The Female Eunuch and the Feminism wow. in that. So I was, couldn't, I just was like, I wanted to <laughs> write, like write it down, to write yeah. down the impact it had on me and the significance I feel they had for a whole generation of, of women my age. And how do you think it kind of 
really personally affected you then? So like seeing them, hearing their music, being 19, kind of at university, because I I mean, I think I've, I was like young and had posters up all on my walls and wanted everything that had Spice Girls on and did their like just being a crazy little kid. But for someone who was, um, you know, going through probably like, you know, just a life-changing stage anyway, when you're yeah. at university, how how did they really kind of affect you and, and kind of how you progressed? Um, that's, I, I don't know, because I definitely wouldn't have put their posters on my student bedroom. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like that. That's what I mean. I, you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been just very deeply uncool. <laughs> um, but I do remember, like we had, I remember going to the States Probably in 97, 98, I went to the Midwest. I went to Minneapolis and St. Paul with <laughs> four of my friends. And everywhere we went, there were five of us, people just, we didn't look anything like the Spice Girls, but we we're just five English girls wearing English for, uh, English clothing from, yeah. you know, buffalo shoes and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. And people would just shout, oh my God, the Spice Girls, wherever we went. And it was just like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> So it's like a representation of British culture as well as, yeah. as culture. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was just, I don't know, it felt, the fashion and the freedom was definitely, probably much more than the music, felt very significant at that yeah. time and was something that I, I, yeah, definitely bought into. And in terms of your dissertation, how did it get you a good grade? Did you do yes. well? I got, um, I got a merit and I got a, a handwritten note from my supervisor saying, I, that was very good and she underlined very as wow. I left the auditorium having presented it. <laughs> Love that. But it's too, but it's also part of the sliding doors moment is, you know, you then wrote that, that then probably like helped you a bit further in your career and, yeah, and that sort of thing. But it is true. It was a very defining moment, I think. And I think that it's, it, you know, you, I, I've watched some documentaries recently about the Spice Girls and for all of the fun and whatever they were there was such a different hidden not hidden but like a, a meaning behind everything and what they were really trying to bring across and I think I was too young to know at the time but it changed everything and it you know you look at music today and even bands like I remember like when a, a group had a female group had never won the x factor or anything and then little mix won, and it was like but why wouldn't a female group win like why mm. does it always have to be boy bands like why can't we idolize girls just as much as we idolize boys? Mm. Yeah, and that's that, that's what happened with Spice, Spice Girls, isn't it? Like they were yeah. absolutely idolized um, by nineteen-year-olds like me, weirdos, and little little girls. And and that that role modeling is I, it's really important when you when you're small, isn't it? It's it's really it's really significant to have some someone like that, some five figures like that. You could pick your personality. I know it's all very manufactured, but yes, no, it, but it was still. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It works. And I think it's a great moment because I think music plays a big part in everyone's lives. And I think when you can remember a song or something that, as I say, it wasn't like a life changing moment for you. But at the time, you felt the kind of shift that that whole um, time had on you and where you were going yeah. through. So it's brilliant. Um, and to go on to your last moment. So uh, leaving full time work at the end of 2019 um, just in time for the global pandemic that ruined any chance of me uh, making a living as a freelancer. Um, but it meant you ran out of excuses not to write the book that you'd been talking about for years. So we get a lot of moments on the podcast about kind of leaving jobs and how these were really significant. So I'm excited to chat to you about yours. So what what role were you in? What made you kind of leave it? Where were you at at that time in 2019 before you quit? Yeah, so I would I'd worked as head of comms for the Women's Equality Party until the end of the general election in 2017, 
Um, and I then moved into another comms job, which was sort you know, it was fine. It was fine and it paid well. And I was really bored, mm-hmm. really, really bored. And I just thought, I can't, I, you know, I need... I've never been very good at staying in one job for very long. <laughs> yeah, much to my parents' frustration, uh-huh. um, and also, you know, there, there. I've always so I've worked as a journalist and I've done um, academic teaching. You know, stuff that involves reading and writing because that's basically all that I. Those are my f- functional skills, um, and there were just was there was the job. I don't know. It just I ran out of kind of creative opportunities in it I think and I, and that's what that's why I got bored it felt like it, I couldn't I I kind of had gone as far as I could with that role so um and but because you know I have boring things like mortgage to pay and and mm-hmm. bills and stuff um it, it felt a bit um irresponsible to just quit yeah but I did <laughs> um and because I've been freelance off and on for for most of my you know most of my career I've only really had two kind of proper jobs like like that one was um so it was scary you know because i money is always a thing that you want to have or not have Mm -hmm. to worry about quite so much um um but i did it and i'm and i felt very freed by doing it and i had been talking about writing this book for a long time and um and i'd also set up a couple of really interesting sounding um projects for for early 2020 one of which was going to india to script a film with a friend of mine Mm -hmm. and you know so I was really excited about all of that. And then, every, you know, as we know. Everything changed. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I couldn't have picked a worse time yeah. to go freelance. Um, but as it turned out, um, we, we, so we did a lot of, um, what did we do? We did a lot of like painting the house because we couldn't go, couldn't go out anywhere. The yeah. DIY shop opened mercifully quickly at the start of lockdown one. Um, and then I literally had nothing. I had no other excuses to just sit down and write. And so I started doing it and I really enjoyed it. And like I said before, it was really scary to just be in control of a story. Like, you mm-hmm. know, to, to just, it's only me. It's on me making this thing up. Um I don't have to footnote, you know, I don't have to evidence yeah. anything. Um, and yeah, slowly, um, but surely this this whole book took form. Um, and I I sent it to a couple of friends in its after its sort of first draft in its first draft stage, and they were like, This is good, you know, this you need to think about this and this and this, but there's yeah. potential here. And I, so I was quite surprised by that, um, but because I thought actually I'm just I'm just happy that I've written it. That feels like for yourself, enough. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm um, my friend Shona, who um, is actually now my publicist of yes. the book. She um, she read it and she said, um, "Do you mind if I send it to to a friend of mine who's an agent just to get her feedback on it?" And then um, and I was like, I didn't really think about it, and I didn't really think about what you know how significant and getting you know getting an agent is and Anyway, Sophie Lambert, who is now my agent, um, mm-hmm. uh, read it and uh, emailed Shona and said, could you ask her to call me? <laughs> so we had this sort of really, I will never forget this call. So I was at home, uh, obviously, and um, Sophie rang and we kind of, it was sort of like being on a, a really awkward first date where yeah. you're like, <laughs> so what do, you, what do you do? You know, like, yeah. and I was trying to Testing the water. Yeah, exactly. And I wasn't sure if she was going to be, like this is you know this is never going to get published <laughs> yeah you, you, but honestly, you didn't know which way it was going to go yeah. um but actually she was like I, re- I really like it and I, I would you like 
you know, I'd like to be your agent. And I was like, oh my God. And so I put the phone down and I, I literally screamed. Like I've never really done that before. I screamed around, <laughs> around the house. Um, because I knew, you know, I knew at that point, like if I've got an agent, then that's... I'm going to get a book. I'm going to yeah. get a book. Yeah. So so that's what happened. Um, yeah. It it's very, a great very story. And it, it's a story, I think, of like, of timing as much as anything, because I Absolutely, think it's like yeah. things falling into place. But was there, I mean, you knew that the job that you left wasn't right for you, but obviously when the pandemic hit, was there ever a time when you were like, what have I done? Why did I do that? Or did you, or were you quite confident that you'd made the right decision? Um, I think both. I Definitely would have vacillated between both. I, you know, that's a state I live in pretty constant, yeah. consistently. I'm 100 sure I've done the right thing. Oh my god, what have I done? Yeah, <laughs> sort of. I think we all are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think because it was such a crazy time, like it's absolutely the you know the strangest time any of us will have ever lived through. Um, it was. It, it just felt part of that bizarre, you know, six month stretch of I don't know what's and 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 yeah. By the end of maybe halfway through 2020 I felt you know I'd, I'd other work project everything had stabilized you know mm-hmm. um globally a little yes. bit um, and in our house so so it felt all right quite quickly I think but yeah I, I absolutely had moments of like oh my god what have I done 100 percent. yeah because it's hard and I think that you know to to then flip it around and be like okay well I am gonna write and it sounds like you always had inside you that you were going to write a book at some point but it just was kind of the case of when and it sounds like you may not have done this if you were still in that job even if the pandemic hit you probably would have had focuses elsewhere how significant is kind of the timing of um you know you're about to launch the book I think when this podcast comes out the book will be out there to everyone um does the time feel right now for you yeah it does actually it feels so I'm doing strange things like photo shoots and interviews and you know things that maybe five years ago I would have without the experience of the festival which yes. is a has been a massive learning curve and also has put me in front of lots and lots of very interesting people and I've I've you know I've really um learned a lot and uh, and watched and learnt from you know watching writers this is a mm-hmm. helpful thing it yeah. sounds really really trite but actually watching them present their work is as yeah. important as writing writing it in the first place there's there's like i think it's 200,000 new books are published every year so you have to you have to sell yeah you which do. is really not a comfortable thing for yeah. for me or for anyone who's a writer i imagine yeah no i get cuz because you 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 express yourself through your writing you're not necessarily like a presenter person yeah you sit on your own in your room typing for months on end barely dressing you know yeah (laughs) and suddenly you have to put a a public face on it so um so yeah I think without I I don't know it's sort of like goes back to that what's for you won't go by you thing Mm -hmm. everything has got me to the point where I am now and I feel like it's the right time yeah oh I love that and and in terms of the books you did say that you know you you found it quite liberating being able to kind of come up with a story and writing a novel. So do you, have you learned a lot for like, if you were going to write another novel about, and like, how do you, where do you get your, your ideas and experiences from? Yeah. So, um, I have learned a lot about, you know, thinking about audience and thinking about placement and, you know, genre, for example, I, 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 I'm never going to write a historical fiction novel. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. learning about the the kind of mechanics of it. But also I think you just have to write the story that you want to write as well. Mm-hmm. So um then I've I've started thinking and jotting down some stuff for my next book. And again, and I think it's just the, it's the things that I'm curious about. So in yeah. is this love 
what happens is two people who were desperately in love with each other become just treat each other in the worst ways imaginable and mm. i'm i've always been curious about how that that shift from love to hate like, you know that happens after that a breakup happened. yeah and lots of i i i've been lucky enough that almost all of my exes are still my friends but i've seen and been through myself pretty brutal breakups and mm-hmm. and then if that person's not there anymore it's 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 mad isn't it and it well, it's and like it, it's it's like death it's like grieving it's precisely. like you have you have a best friend one day and then they go right so it's mad and it's maddening it makes you mad and so yeah. i wanted to explore that in this novel and in the next novel i want to i'm looking at a kind of toxic friendship um and which we again most of us yes. will have experienced they're really confusing when you're in them um yeah so so it yeah, I, I guess the thing that you just have to write the story that you want to write, the thing yeah. that, that interests you, that piques your curiosity. It's so exciting and it's quite liberating. And I actually didn't think about it, as you said, it. you can write about things that, you know, they don't have to be what you've been through, but you're really interested in. Like, for example, as you say, like relationships or friendships. And, mm-hmm. and I guess, do you then, do you research these things or do you just kind of come up with, do you, do you observe a lot? Are your friends I quite observe- scared to be around you? <laughs> <laughs> no, my friends would say they're not scared to be around me. I guess some some of it would involve a bit of research, but mostly it's it is observational and it's experiential. You know, mm-hmm. you, when you've lived, you know, forty five years, you you've met a lot of different people, and I've had you know moved through lots of jobs, lots of places, physical places, um, times, and it, and so you do your own experience is something you can absolutely draw on um, in in plotting out storylines that you will understand and be able to make real for the reader. Definitely. Um, oh, Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I can't wait to read the book. I'm so I'm already excited for the next one about toxic friendships. It sounds just <laughs> like you. down my street. But um, good luck with the launch and the books out now for everyone listening to the podcast. Um, have a read of it. Let us know what you think. Um, and thank you for sharing your moments with us. It's been lovely to kind of hear all the things that have made significant moments in your life. So thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Catherine. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.